Have you heard of the Big Five of personality tests? This is Kurt Linville. This is Weathering Coronavirus, Updates and Hope. Thank you for listening today. The goal today is to try to provide some perspective that might help us all to get along better and to understand the debate, the current debate. Do we reopen the economy? Do we stop the social distancing? Do we transition into some new level of normalcy? Do we trust people to make right decisions? Do we make rules to protect the population? These are very big debates and the stakes are very high. It's not just a matter of what we want. It's a matter of what's going to be necessary going forward. Less than try to answer these questions, I'm going to try to present a framework so that you can understand all sides of these debates and maybe be more compassionate in your thinking about people who disagree with you. Why? Because that's going to help us to come to the best possible outcome. The big five personality traits. Those are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And of course, I first heard of these from Jordan Peterson. These five personality traits have been very well studied. There are decades of research behind them, and it's a way to understand differences between individuals, not differences that are by choice. This is the key. These are personality traits that are differences that are by nature more than nurture. And if you've heard of the nature versus nurture argument, the bottom line is, was I born this way and is there anything I can do to change it? Or was I raised this way and it's a bad habit that I can correct? Or it might be the opposite to put it in a positive light. I was born this way. How lucky I am that I have this personality trait. Or I was raised this way and I've learned how to have these really good personal habits. Well, how much of our personality, how much of the way that we make decisions, how much of the way that we process emotion is by birth, by nature, or by training, by nurture. Vast numbers of exhaustive studies have been done to determine just this, and the reason is because of psychotherapy. You want to know what you can help with and what might be a lot harder to help with. Even some things that are by nurture are so deeply ingrained in the core of our personality and the core of our self-identity that they're very, very difficult to modify. So this Big Five personality test helps people to understand themselves and others in terms of these traits are core. They're fundamental to my self-identity, to who I am and how I operate. Whether it's nature or whether it's nurture, we know that these five traits really do define to a large degree how people interact, how they behave, what they value, their emotional responses to various situations. It's all kind of wrapped up in this who you are. Why do I bring this up? Well, there's a big debate going on right now. Should we reopen the economy? Should we forget about this and let this virus run its course? Is COVID-19 as deadly as they said it was? Have we been fed a bunch of lies? Or is it every bit as deadly as they said it was? And should we continue to be as careful as possible because we need to protect as many lives as possible? Is the economy going to kill more people than the virus? What are our constitutional rights to liberty? Can they make us stay at home? Can they make me keep my business closed? Isn't this a free country? Or 
boy, we better be really, really careful. We're going to overwhelm the medical resources of this country, and it's going to be horrible with mass graves and maybe a half a million people dead by the time this is all said and done. Who's right? Who's wrong? Are these opinions, ideas, ideologies, or are these personality types? Well, for some people, maybe these are more on the idea domain. But I would argue that I'm seeing a lot of alignment with personality types. And I think this matters, not only for coronavirus. This matters for understanding people in general. Have you ever attended some sort of a committee meeting? Maybe it was a neighborhood meeting or a zoning hearing or a commissioner's meeting. And you saw extreme polarity in types of opinions. Some people are extraordinarily concerned with protecting Things like view sheds, the aesthetics of the environment, public health, safety, and their concerns might seem rather extreme because they may not be founded in the facts as we understand them, but they feel very emotionally charged about these issues, that these things must be protected. Then there are other people who say, no, this is for the public good, this is for business, this is something that needs to happen because it's going to benefit everyone economically or benefit the financial bottom line of the community, and they'll be making that argument. And then you have people in the middle who are saying, isn't there a way that we can do this in a safe way and in an aesthetically pleasing way and still get the benefits out of it, or at least most of the benefits? Isn't there a middle ground? Well, these ideas are not just opinions. These ideas are core personality traits that are ingrained in who we are. That's why people get so passionate and so charged in such debates. And that's starting to unveil itself now as we're looking at the coronavirus epidemic across the United States and around the world. We're beginning to see people with very contrasting opinions. And I would like to argue that it's not always because these are opinions. These are contrasting personality types. Every single one of us falls somewhere on a spectrum in personality types in these big five. This openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, these things are a spectrum, meaning that you could be extremely open or somewhat open. You could be extremely extroverted or maybe just a little bit extroverted. There are people that kind of fall in the middle on these continuums, and they can kind of see all sides of the story, right? They're the people that say, well, I get your point, and I understand his point too, and why can't we come together on this? Then we have other people who are more extreme in one aspect of a personality trait or another, and it's anchored in the core of their identity. Let me repeat that. Anchored in the core of their identity. So it's not a matter of proving someone right or wrong. This is the part that I really want to stress. In these sorts of conversations, it's not a matter of proving someone right or wrong. Because in proving someone wrong, you are attacking the core of that person's identity. Why do some people get so passionate and even enraged about political discussions? It's because it's not really about politics. It's really about addressing the question, who am I? Who do you think I am? And do you have the right to attack me personally for who I am? Some people would say, well, that's not reasonable. That's not rational. Well, guess what? We are all emotional beings, and we react emotionally when we're challenged. And when we feel attacked on something that's fundamental to our self-identity, 
then the emotional response can be rather large. That's why these public discussions about the the common good get so heated and why the opinions are so diverse. take a moment and read definitions of these five personality traits just so that you have some understanding of what I'm talking about and then we'll revisit the situation with coronavirus in light of these personality traits. First we have openness. People who like to learn new things and enjoy new experiences usually score high in openness. Openness includes traits like being insightful and imaginative and having a wide variety of interests. You like to try new things. Conscientiousness. People that have a high degree of conscientiousness are reliable and prompt. Traits include being organized, methodic, and thorough. You might think of accountants, lawyers with conscientiousness. Extroversion. Extroverts get their energy from interacting with others, while introverts get their energy from within themselves. Extroversion includes the traits of energetic, talkative, and assertive agreeableness. These individuals are friendly, cooperative, and compassionate. People with low agreeableness may be more distant. Traits include being kind, affectionate, and sympathetic. Neuroticism. Neuroticism is also sometimes called emotional stability. This dimension relates to one's emotional stability and degree of negative emotions. People that score high on neuroticism often experience emotional instability and negative emotions. Traits include being moody and tense. I think a lot of people think of neuroticism as a negative attribute of personality, and it can be in the more extreme forms, but if you get kind of to the middle of the spectrum where most of us are, you know, within a standard deviation or so from the mean, then you find that neuroticism also helps people to be nurturing. It helps people to avoid dangerous situations, and it helps people to protect those that they love. So neuroticism is not always a bad thing. Just for fun, so we can begin to understand how these personality traits impact us during these lockdowns, right? During the now safer at home approach to coronavirus, let's talk about extroversion. Now let's imagine for a moment that you are an introvert and you're fairly far on the introvert side of the equation, meaning you're not in that middle part, but you're fairly far over there, okay? Here's extroversion again. Extroverts get their energy from interacting with others, while introverts get their energy from within themselves. Extroversion includes the traits of energetic, talkative, and assertive. If you're an introvert, and you're staying at home, and you're reading good books, and you're enjoying a lot of alone time, then you're feeding your soul. So how does it feel to be in lockdown as an introvert? Now, if you're an extrovert, you get your energy and your insights by interacting with other people. It's by dialogue. Your energy comes from making people laugh and maybe performing a little bit for the crowd. 
It also comes from lots of energetic interactions with other people. How do you think the extrovert is feeling with this social lockdown, safer at home scenario? That's a big difference, isn't it? That's just one personality trait that I think a lot of us tend to understand a little bit better than others. And by the way, extroversion is not better than introversion. Both personality traits are valid. Both are useful. Both are powerful. Both are helpful for society as a whole. And in the Western culture, we reward extroversion because they're the ones that end up on television. They're the ones that win the political offices because they don't mind standing up in front of everybody and showboating a little bit. So our society kind of rewards extroversion by putting them in front of the camera, so to speak. But the introverted and sometimes introspective people may be the ones who are coming up with the best ideas and the best understanding of humanity and the way that things work. And also keep in mind, introverted people also can stand up in front of crowds and deliver wonderful information. They're just not energized by it. They can still lead and step out and do what needs to be done. It's just that their energy comes from their alone time rather than from being in front of everybody. And then you've got your extrovert that gets all charged up by being in front of people and standing in front of the microphone. And then that extrovert goes home and starts feeling drained because no one's around. Interesting, huh? Now, if we move what we've learned from our exploration of extroversion and introversion to the other four personality traits, then we start to understand where people are coming from a little bit better in the coronavirus debate. There's openness. These people like to learn new things and have new experiences. There's conscientiousness. That means people are very reliable and prompt, very organized, they're methodic, they're very thorough, they like things to be correct. There's agreeableness. These people are friendly and cooperative and compassionate. They get along with other people really well. They don't necessarily like conflict, right? but they are kind, affectionate, and sympathetic. They just want everyone to get along. And then there's neuroticism. And this is about emotional stability again. And that emotional stability is also about safety, making sure that no one gets hurt. Okay, how can we think about the coronavirus debate that's getting louder and louder and louder around us in society right now? How does someone that has a high degree of openness feel about the current state of affairs? They like to learn new things and enjoy new experiences. They're very open, insightful, and imaginative, right? Because they're so insightful and imaginative, they might be saying there's got to be a better way. How can we do this in a better way? What can happen? And then they can feel very frustrated because they have no voice. They don't have the ability to get these ideas out and applied in a way that could help everybody, right? That might be an openness trait. Conscientious people are probably saying, I don't have enough information. Darn it, where are the numbers? They keep showing me numbers, but I know that we haven't had enough testing to actually have a good random sampling of the population to truly quantify how dangerous this illness is. And that's information we need. We need to organize this, figure out what we're doing so we can make proper decisions. That might be a conscientious approach to the coronavirus debate. Agreeableness. Agreeable people are probably saying, yeah, what, what do I need to do? How can I help other people? How can we all keep everybody safe? Maybe staying at home is a good idea. And why are these people making so much noise about this? I really think that people just need to cooperate because, you know, we'll all get through this together. And these people that are starting to have demonstrations and they're trying to break all the rules, well, I'm not so sure that they're doing the right thing here. Then you have the neuroticism. 
The neurotic people are very likely to say, whatever it takes to be safe. I don't want anyone getting hurt. I don't want to get hurt. I am nervous about this virus. I'm nervous about the economy, but I'm going to trust the leadership to do the right things, and everyone should darn well obey the rules because we're trying to be safe here. Now, I just severely oversimplified the personality of humans. It's not that we have people that are either open or neurotic, agreeable or extroverted. No, 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 no. We're all, all five traits. We are all somewhere on the spectrum of each of these traits, and each of these traits interact and mix and blend together like an exotic recipe, and the outcome is what makes you uniquely you, unlike anybody else on the planet. And that's the reason why people disagree, because we are all so different. infinite number of combinations of these five traits that make you who you are. If you are very high in neuroticism, then you're probably really nervous about COVID-19 right now. You probably just want this thing to be over. And frankly, you probably think that sheltering at home is a good idea. You may have been the first person to put on a mask even before they were saying we should be wearing masks. You went to the grocery store in the off hours as much as possible, or maybe sent someone else to the grocery store for you. That's what neuroticism does. So there's a large, large population of people that score high in neuroticism in the United States. How do they feel about COVID-19 right now? Now consider for a moment some other motivations behind the COVID-19 coronavirus debates. We talked about personality traits briefly and I'm encouraging you to just kind of be aware people are different and it might be very fundamental to their personal identity. So we need to tread lightly, be a little bit more cautious, and try to spend a little bit of time thinking in the way that they might be thinking so we can understand where they're coming from. That way maybe we can get along a little better and come up with some better answers. But let's moving on. What about the what is at stake question? Well, we don't know the future. So globally, we don't really know what the end story is going to be, right? Economically, from a health standpoint, how many people are going to die? How many people are going to live? We don't really know the end. We don't, we don't, the rest of the book hasn't been written yet. So instead, we might be looking at what we personally have at stake by the way that this crisis is being managed. Well, some people are small business owners who have had their business shut down, and they have expenses 
even though their business is not producing revenue right now. And while there are government programs that are trying to help businesses in this situation that can help them to survive this, frankly, those programs just help a little bit. The lion's share of the economic impact of this crisis is falling on small business owners and the government programs that are costing society trillions and trillions of dollars are not going to be enough to keep most of those businesses alive. What's at stake? Well, someone put their blood, sweat, and tears into their small business. It's their livelihood. It's what puts groceries on the table for their family. And that small business is at stake. How does that make you feel? Well, the extroverts might say something like, well, I can always start another company and maybe they'll they'll have a, a fresh start and do something a little bit better from what they've learned, right? The neurotic people might say, holy cow, they're going to starve to death. What are we going to do? Well, what do you have at stake? If you have a corporate job and the corporation is doing pretty well and you have the opportunity to work from home full time for the first time, and let's say that you're also a little bit introverted, right? And maybe slightly high in the neurotic camp, then you're probably pretty okay with this. You're still earning your money. You're able to work from home. You feel safer there anyway. You are being energized by having the alone time that you need. And so what's the big deal? Well, I would argue that that person doesn't have a lot at stake. There are other people that are very concerned about the future outcome, which we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but they're worried that the long-term economic impact of this is going to hurt us for the next five or ten years. And it will. I'm just telling you now, those are the facts. We might as well get ready for it. We are going to have high inflation rates, and we are going to have difficulties getting the economy rebooted and running at maximum again. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be very expensive. The job market is going to be soft. Innovation and new investing is going to be soft. That's the way it is. Everyone loves a bull market because the machine is cranking out productivity and everyone wants a piece of the action. This isn't going to be a bull market for a long time. So I don't say that to make you sad or to be a a, a pessimist. I say it because that's reality. That's the way this has to play out. And no amount of government bailout packages can fix that. It can help. It can help to get things going. But long term, it can't fix it. So we're in this together. It's going to be what it's going to be. We will rebuild. We will rise again. That is the way of the West. That's the way of humanity at large. We are resilient. We are conquerors. We are winners. And we'll come out the other side of this. I think what matters more than this long-term speculation is a matter of how are you managing your own state right now, right now. If you're okay right now, then it's going to be okay. And I keep saying that. No matter what happens, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this. You know, we've weathered storms before, and we're weathering one again, and that's okay. We're going to get through this. But the what's at stake question is what I was trying to address. We have to think in terms of what's at stake for the person that has this opposing idea to my own. What's at stake for that person? There are other people that have a lot at stake here. Those are the susceptible populations, the people that are seeing a very high death rate from COVID-19. We're talking about people with severe underlying health conditions and the elderly who just don't have the immune system to kick this thing. And the death rates among those populations are very high. 
The death rates among the healthy population is very, very low. This doesn't help us right now because it it tends to create an us versus them mentality, which I don't think is helpful. We don't need to be dividing up populations into young and vibrant and healthy versus people that are more susceptible to this COVID-19 and start thinking us versus them, pointing fingers, assigning guilt or blame. No, we are all humans in this together. All life is valuable. All life is sacred. And we're in this together. We're blessed that healthy younger populations weather this fairly well. That helps society at large. That helps all of us. That's a huge blessing. But we still have to take care of all of us. That's a huge responsibility. I want to talk about the current state of affairs, and in the last episode, I went into this in quite a bit of depth, but I just want to highlight a couple of things here. Um, What is the current state of affairs in this debate? Well, there is no vaccine yet, and the vaccine is still a year out. Might be more, might be less, but vaccines can't be created overnight. Sure, we have the technology to make a vaccine fairly quickly, but finding out if it works or not can't really be sped up, and that's because you have to do studies. You have to do trials and see what the responses are. And until you do those trials, you dare not use the vaccine widespread across a population because the vaccine could be deadly. It could be worse than coronavirus. They have to make sure that the vaccine works and is safe. So we are a long way from a vaccine. Okay, I don't care what they say. They're making progress, but we're a long way out. There's no established understanding of immunity. And what I mean by that is, if you've had coronavirus, COVID-19, and you have the antibodies, you should be immune to it for some period of time, at least resistant to it for catching it again personally or spreading it to others. However, we also need a lot more data and we need a lot of time to do trials and to study these populations to see what the degree of immunity is. And here's something that's funny about that. People keep talking about herd immunity and saying, well, that's probably not a good solution, but we're going to get a vaccine. Well, guess what a vaccine does? A vaccine does the same thing. It creates the antibodies. So if we get immunity from the vaccine, we will also get immunity from COVID-19. They go hand in hand, but both have to be proven out. So we still don't know, and it takes a long, long time to find out. So herd immunity may not really work. We don't know. And right now, there's not much of it. What I mean by that is even though it's very likely that many, many more people have had COVID-19 than have officially been counted in the tallies, and many of those people, it was just like a mild flu or even maybe just a kind of a severe cold, it makes the total counts look big, but if you compare it to the world's population, it's still a tiny fraction of the world's population that has had COVID-19. So if the antibodies provide us with the immunity that we need, which they probably do, but we don't know for sure. There aren't many people who actually have it because they haven't had COVID-19 yet. So we're still in the very, very early, early days of this epidemic. 
And people don't want to hear that because it's been six, eight weeks, depending on where you are. You've been putting your business on hold. You know, your livelihood might be at stake. You feel like you're under house arrest. You're going stir crazy, especially if you're an extrovert. Oh my word, you got to get out, right? Well, guess what? We're only in the very, very early days of this epidemic. I hate to say it that way because, you know, the the mainstream media is trying to make it sound like, okay, we're getting this under control and moving forward. And world leaders are trying to say the same things. Governors are trying to say the same things. They're trying to calm people down. That's the rhetoric right now. Calm people down because they know that they don't want to have riots on their hands. They don't want to have mass civil disobedience because then they have whole other problems. And they know that that's where this is headed. But guess what, folks? We're at the very beginning of this epidemic. We're only six or eight weeks in, and that's not long. It's not long enough at all. We have many months left before we have a vaccine, before we understand immunity, and before even herd immunity could be accomplished perhaps at the sacrifice of millions of lives. So we're still at the beginning. Is there a better way to manage this? I think we're going to sort that out as a society. We're going to come up with some better approaches to managing this crisis. But we can't now say, okay, we've flattened the curve and we can all go back to business as usual. Let me explain why. This illness swept around the globe with just a few people that were sick that spread it to everyone else. I call these people seeds. And if you think about, oh, corn is a good example. You put one seed in the ground and the corn grows up a stalk and it makes a few heads of corn with a few hundred seeds on every head, right? So that's why I talk about people that were contagious as the seeds. So we had just a few seeds. And those few seeds were all it took for SARS-CoV-2 to sweep around the globe and infect every country, every nation on Earth. Millions of people are infected from just one kernel, right? Patient zero. Now we have millions of people around the globe who are seeds. So if you plant one seed and you get one plant, that's one scenario. If you plant a million seeds and you get a million plants, that's another scenario. I hate to say it, but we are in a more precarious, more dangerous situation now than we were in the beginning by far. The things that we have in our favor are general social awareness of the situation. That matters. We no longer have this secret spread of the virus. People are watching it and people are aware so we can do things to uh, make wise decisions. That's in our favor. Now we know. Another thing that's in our favor is we have bought some time. Actions have been taken to provide the medical resources necessary to take care of people. Actions have been taken toward developing a vaccine and toward understanding the immunity. So we've made a lot of progress. We bought a lot of time. Other things that help is that we have slowed the spread of the virus through this extreme social distancing. So now we're in a better position to try to manage it going forward. But we're going to have to manage it for a long, long time. So when you hear people talk about reopening right now, I'm not saying they're wrong. Maybe that is a right path forward, but it's got to be done in a responsible way because we are in a more dangerous, more precarious situation than we were six or eight weeks ago. The science backs that up. We know that that's true. And people that are saying just, you know, during the torpedoes full speed ahead, they might want 
to hesitate for a moment and realize we're in a more precarious situation now, and the whole population matters. There are many people that are susceptible that so far have avoided getting COVID-19. We don't want them all to get it at once. We want to be able to care for them if they do get it, right? We have a responsibility. So I encourage you, whenever you're internally going through what's wrong and what's right, when you hear people speaking up about reopening versus why did you close me down and how it wasn't fair and all of that, I I encourage you to think about the personality traits of people and realize these are not just ideas. You probably can't change someone's mind. You might be able to add a little bit more perspective for them to consider and given time, come to some middle ground. But the idea of, you guys are idiots, why do you think that way? I've got to change your mind. You're attacking the core of their being, their self-identity, who they think that they are. And the emotional response from that is strong. And these visceral-type responses don't really help us in coming to common solutions that can help society as a whole. So how about trying to walk in the other person's shoes for a while? And just for a moment... I don't know that this crisis has been managed so far in the best possible way. I'm not going to try to make that argument. I am going to say it's been managed in a way, and people are trying to do the best that they can. How would you like to be the county health director? Or how would you like to be a state health department director? How would you like to be a decision maker at the higher levels when you consider the lack of information that they have had. Here's what we knew about um, SARS-CoV-2. We knew it was extremely virulent and spread extremely quickly and easily, and yes, it does. We knew that the death rate is higher than any other illness that can spread like that, at least ones that are out in the public, right? They knew that the potential was that millions and millions of people were going to die, and they had to make a decision. If you were one of these decision makers with such a small amount of information and you have the medical authorities telling you that this could be the big one, then if you're conscientious and you care about other people, you're probably going to want to save as many lives as possible. You're going to say, wow, um, we should be careful here. If I have to choose between the lesser of the evils, I would rather choose safety for the maximum number of people. Who wouldn't think that way? Now think about a decision maker that may not be so conscientious, but maybe wants to protect his or her political career. What are you going to do? Well, probably more of a balanced path. It's going to be a matter of, if I do nothing and this thing blows up, then my career is dead. It's over. If I do too much and the economy collapses, then my career is dead. It's over. If I end up taking extreme measures and it's proven that I saved the day with those decisions, then I'll be celebrated as a hero unless people never really believe that it would have been a problem in the first place. See, this is the problem with this sort of a crisis. If you win by protecting the population, then the population raises up and says, you made me do what? And look, nothing came of it. Well, it's because you were successful. And if a society makes the choices to do every single thing that they can to beat an outbreak like this, and then it fails and people still die in mass numbers, then you're going to get blamed for not doing enough. Is there any way to do the right amount, to not be blamed for the outcome? I think there's not. How would you like to be one of those decision makers? No matter what you do, you are going to be blamed for the outcomes. So take a moment before you start pointing fingers too much at the decision makers. Take a moment to consider what they're up against. 
when a crisis like this hits someone that's in a position of leadership, then their career is very likely over. They can't win the game. There's no way to do the ultimate right thing. They're going to get blamed either way. Think about that. How would you like to be in that person's position? What's at stake for them? This is their career and livelihood, too. Hmm... other things we need to think about. How about rules versus responsibility? This is a big one. This is probably the biggest one for me personally. I'm just being open with you. Rules versus responsibility. If you rank fairly high on the neuroticism personality trait, then you like the rules, the rules that take care of everybody. And you like to believe that the government is the answer, that they're going to do the right things, that the people in leadership are going to take care of us. That is a identity That is a personality, that is a born genetic trait to feel that way. You probably think the rules are good because they're taking care of us. People are doing something. However, if you are low in neuroticism and maybe you're high in openness, you like new experiences, you like to take risks, you like to be imaginative, and you have a a wide variety of interests, maybe you're not very conscientious, which means you're less likely to be organized and thorough right? And maybe you're an extrovert. And so you really feel like we should just go do things. Those people are great. Those are the ones who motivate us to action. (laughs) But you probably are hating the rules. Why are they making me, you know, obey all these stupid rules, right? What if you're someone that's low in neuroticism and high in conscientiousness? This is probably where I fall, actually. I love to try new things and take risks, and, and I, I don't worry so much about the how could this turn out bad. I look at it and say, how could this turn out good? I'm kind of low in neuroticism, but I am conscientious, which means I like to be very reliable, organized, methodic, and thorough. I like to have all the ducks in a row, and I really like to have all the information before I make a decision. So I'm high in conscientiousness. So what does that mean? That means that I believe that people should be free. That's my openness trait. They should have a high degree of liberty and that we can trust those people to make wise decisions. Why? Because people are conscientious, right? Isn't everyone like me? Well, everyone's not like me, but that's where my brain would be. I would like for us to be given the opportunity to make wise decisions and not be locked down by a bunch of rules. That's my personality trait. Do I understand the rules? Yes, because there are a lot of people out there that don't have my personality trait. They want the rules to control the people that are going to endanger everyone else if those rules don't exist. Well, let me tell you a secret. People that endanger other people because the rules don't exist endanger other people when the rules do exist too because they don't care. But someone that's higher in neuroticism would say, if we don't have those rules, then it's going to be chaos. It's going to be mayhem and millions of people are going to die. And someone that really thinks more in lines of personal liberty and conscientiousness and openness and extroversion is probably going to say, we will do the right thing because we do care. Tell us how to behave, and we will make the appropriate personal decisions to protect the population for the greater good. Don't make us do it. 
allow us to do it. Hmm. See how these things get wrapped up in personality traits? When people make rules for other people, people get angry and say, don't you think I would do the right thing? Just give me the information. I'll make the right decision. You're insulting me. But on the other hand, you have people that are higher in neuroticism who are saying, People do stupid things every day and make dumb decisions because the population is can't be trusted. Well, guess what? <laughs> Both are right. So how do you manage this? How do you manage this? But here's the main point. These personality traits are what drive these debates, right? Here's another one for you. Liberty versus safety. It's almost the same thing. But rules versus responsibility. I don't know. That one really hits me because I believe we can be responsible and we don't need the rules. We need guidance. We need information not rules. But I know that that's just my personality type speaking. But when you get to liberty versus safety, this one's even bigger to me because I believe that liberty is perhaps our society's most valuable civil right, our most valuable attribute of how we function, more core to what makes the West great, America great. It's liberty. It's individual liberty, and to whom much is given, much is required. So that individual liberty requires high degrees of individual responsibility. You can hear my conscientiousness talking there. But I really want to protect liberty, and we have put liberty on hold temporarily for the sake of the greater good, but there are a lot of people who also believe in liberty out there who are saying, nope, enough is enough. But guess what? We're only at the very beginning of this crisis, folks. And the misinformation that's coming out right now is really, really sad. There are people that are saying this is not a big deal. It's all being some big conspiracy. People are lying to us, and they, for some reason, wanted to control us and lock us down and destroy the economy because somehow they're going to benefit by destroying the economy for everybody else. Some people are saying that. I'm choosing not to, and here's why. There could be a conspiracy where people are doing nefarious things to try to hurt the population to advance their own power and wealth. I can come up with a few of those. It's not too hard. But the bottom line is we've been confronted with a challenge that is a challenge for everyone on the planet. This is a universal challenge. It's ubiquitous. We don't have a lot of information. It does no good to start pointing fingers and blaming and coming up with conspiracy theories that make everyone even more nervous and frustrated and upset. Because what we need right now is for people to understand each other. That was the purpose of today's program openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. We need people to work together to come up with best solutions. What we've done thus far may or may not be the best solution. I don't know, but people took action to try to protect the population as much as possible. Now we need to figure out better ways to do exactly that, to protect the population as much as possible from economic collapse as well as from the dangers of COVID-19. We need great solutions. We need a lot more information, and we need a lot of cooperation, innovation. People need to be working together to come up with those excellent ideas. And guess what? That's why we have a variety of people, and that's a beautiful thing. We have people that come from a background of their own unique perspective, and when you put all of those perspectives together, then the blind spots get removed. People can consider more of, of the traps, the potential traps that are out there, and people can consider more of the great ideas. Someone that's highly neurotic might be saying, I just want to be safe, and they're not thinking long-term about the ways to move forward, right? Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but my point is that 
You need someone that's highly imaginative and creative and open, the openness people, right, to come up with paths forward. What if we do this? Can we protect people and reboot the economy, get things rolling forward to manage this crisis for the next year to 18 months to two years to five years, whatever it takes, but we can do it in a way that allows the economic conditions to improve and for us to move forward long term. That's what we need. So we have to have that dialogue. We have to have that discussion and pointing fingers and blaming and coming up with conspiracy theories and feeling threatened and building fear doesn't help. The name of this podcast is Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. Updates, that's to provide information that people need so that they can make wise decisions. Hope, that's so that we can look forward with a smile on our face, knowing that it's going to be all right, that we will come out the other side of this, and whatever that new normal looks like, we'll make the most of it. Why? Because humanity is tenacious. We are resilient. We are problem solvers. We are intelligent. And we are hardworking. And when push comes to shove, people can do the right thing. And though you can look through history and see a lot of evil that, that mars our past, you can also say that Hitler was put down. Stalin and the USSR, they don't exist anymore. Evil people that build temporary evil empires do get taken out. In the end, I believe that love and goodness can win. And right now, that's what I'm talking about. What is our evil right now? Economic threats. And it's a common evil worldwide. It's COVID-19. We don't have a dictator who's waging war. Instead, we have a situation that's waging war against humanity, and humanity will overcome. We just have to be patient. We have to understand each other. We will win this battle. We will win this battle. And like I said, no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Why do I say that? People say, how's that true? It is true. Why do I say that? If you're okay right now, right now, in this moment, and you can take a deep breath and say, oh, I'm okay. It's going to be okay. And then in the next moment, you can do the same thing. And then again, you do the same thing. And you have formed a personality trait of being in the present and making wise decisions and knowing it's going to work out, that you'll get through it no matter what. We might lose loved ones. It's a scary thing. You might lose your health. Scary thing. But even in the midst of that, you can persevere and you can say, it's going to be okay. Some of these worst case scenarios are really dire, but we can be okay even in times of worst case scenario. I know it's tough. It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow, but you can do it. Let your light shine, people. Start throwing a lot of love out there. Be generous with your love and your understanding. Encourage other people. Help people to understand each other. Shine that light into the darkness. Don't let anger and frustration become the powers that rule the day. Rather, let's let wisdom, love, understanding, and compassion be the powers that rule the day. This is Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. I am your host, Kurt Linville. Today's show is produced by Caleb Linville. And until the next episode, be safe out there. <laughs>